Glad to have you guys here. We are continuing our series, A Better Way. Now, I get it. We don't like to admit the fact that there's ways to do things better than the way we do it. Because we think that our way is the, the, the best way. That's right. The right way, the best way. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's the way you wash dishes, the way you fold clothes. How many you guys know that there's like more than one way to fold a shirt? Okay, there's not. All right. Okay. Okay. My wife tells me there's not. Okay. Um, there's more than one way to fold socks. I know that. Okay. You can just have them like loosely in the drawer and you got to go find them. That's chaos. If you do that, get saved, please. You can fold the socks and stick them in there, but then they kind of like sneak apart from each other, right? You can do that, or you can fold it inside out, right, where you stretch out the top. That's bad. So basically what I'm trying to say is there's no perfect way to fold socks. So there is no best way on that one. I'm sure you got your best way. Um, but uh, So there's a lot of things in life that have a better way. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you today, part two of Jesus, how Jesus is a better way. I know it might seem like, well, that should always make sense. Yeah, but Jesus is the one who says, I am the way. I am the way. That's what Jesus said. It's not my words. It's his words. And we're going to dig into that. We're going to have part two here and, and unwrap it. So let me just start with a, a scenario that you've been in before. Have you ever been like in a, a different city or a different town with a friend or a family member? And now you've got a carpool from wherever you are to maybe go eat dinner someplace. Or to, you know, we're going to go to this thing, and we have to go downtown, and we have to go to another part of town, we have to get there. And you've been around the town enough that they think you kind of know where to go, right? But they're basically telling you, like, you're going to follow me, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump on the interstate, we're going to go down, we're going to take this, like, overpass, and then we're going to get off on this exit, and we're going to go downtown, and then right next to the old factory... Uh, you remember where the old factory is, right? And next to the old factory is the restaurant we're going to go to, and the sign's in red. No problem. It's going to be easy to find. I'm going to be, I'm going to be driving. You just follow me. You, you, got, you basically understand the way, though, right? And you kind of shake your head at them, and you're like, yeah, sure, I get the way, right? And so you get in your car, and you start sweating because you freak out, and you realize that you don't know how to get there at all. And if you lose them, then you're done, right? And so what do you do? When the cars take off, you like speed up. And you're, you're, you're never, you, never use, you never use the cruise control in a moment like that. It's always foot on the gas, foot on the brake. It's like, you just try to stay with them. And you know like when you go through the stoplights, you're just praying to the Lord. Let the light stay green long enough. Like I don't want to lose them. Anybody else with me? And so first couple of lights, it turns yellow and a dark yellow. And if you're colorblind, that's called red. But you go through anyways. <laughs> you go through anyways. Until that one light, you hit the one light, and the, they've already gone through it. And it is red, and it's been red for too long, and you have to stop. And now you're just sitting there, and you're anxious, man. Your leg starts twitching. You start hitting the steering wheel, you know. You're starting to freak out. You're telling everybody in the car, hey, keep your eyes on the taillights of that other car. We can't lose them. And then as soon as the light turns green, you're like a drag car, you know, racer, and you're like, Rrr! and it's a front-wheel drive car, four-cylinder. And you light the tires up anyways, and they're, Rrr! you just take off, right? And the, the grandma next to you is really impressed right? Because she thought you were trying to, like, you know, race her. And so you just take off, but you can't catch up to the car. So what do you have to do? You have to do the humble thing. You got to pull over. You have to call me. You have to tell them, I never really truly understood where we were going in the first place. And now I lost you. And I don't know where we're going. And you have to humble yourself and do that. The disciples were in a very similar situation one day. 
where Jesus was telling them, you guys know where I'm going, right? You know where I'm going. And one bold disciple, his name is Thomas. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap, okay? Because Thomas is the guy who is known as Doubting Thomas. Has anybody ever heard that term before? Doubting Thomas, the disciple that doubted that Jesus rose again from the grave. But this disciple is radical. This guy is incredible. He might ask tough questions, but this is the dude from church history that we believe took the gospel all the way from Israel and trekked it all the way over to India, where they still like, have this place where they are thankful for and they give memory to the, the apostle Thomas who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So in church history, this is a pretty big name dude. He's an all-star in the kingdom of God. But in this moment where Jesus is going, hey, you guys know, you know where I'm going and you know the way to get there. Thomas pipes up and he goes, whoa, no, no, no. No, Jesus, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going at all. I don't even know how to get there. That's where we actually get the statement that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if it wasn't for Thomas asking a question, we may not even have this statement. So I want to take you to that passage. It's found in uh, John 14, verses 1 through 6. I kind of want to go backtrack I kicked off last week talking about that verse. Now I want to go in reverse. I want to go before the verse and help you understand why did Jesus even make this statement in the first place. So here's, here's what it says in John 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says these words, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Uh, if this were not so, would, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. Oh, and watch this. Look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then, bam, interruption takes place. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. In fact, we have no idea where you're going. Right? So how in the world can we know the way? And then Jesus turns around and with compassion in his eyes, I guarantee you. Right? He looks at Thomas. He says, Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We don't even have that statement unless one bold disciple goes, whoa, time out. I don't know the way. I don't know where you're going. Jesus, I know I've been around you for a while, but I got no clue where you're going. But before we even get to that, can, can I just highlight a couple of things that Jesus said in there? He goes, first and foremost, he goes, I'm going to a different place called heaven, to be with the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I don't know about you, but how many guys have seen some beautiful things on this earth? Have you seen some beautiful things? I mean, have you been to the Grand Canyon? Awesome. You know, Machu Picchu in Peru, off the charts. Incredible. All right? Have you been over to, like, Mediterranean and seen that at all? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, have you, been, have you been places where you've seen, you know, you know, jagged mountains, like the mountains of Alaska? It will take your breath away. Like, there's beautiful, beautiful things on this earth, and I haven't even started to touch the list, and you've got your own list. And I'm just thinking to myself right now, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a better place for you. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, heaven's going to be off the charts. Are you with me on that? But secondly, Jesus goes, look, when it's done, I'm coming back to get you so that you can be where I am. That's the heart of God. It's always been the heart of God. 
So if you ever feel like God's annoyed with you, or he, he, he doesn't like you, or he doesn't want to hear from you, you just need to know right now, that's not God's voice, that's the voice of the enemy. Because God's voice has always been this, I want you to be where I am. But to do that, you have to follow my ways. That's where we get to this point in the scripture where Jesus says, and you know, you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas interrupts Jesus. We have no idea where you're going, so how in the world can we get there? Can you imagine that? Like, you're having a conversation with Jesus, right? Follow this. You're having a conversation with Jesus. Can you imagine interrupting Jesus? That, that just seems like that's a bold move, man. That's a bold move. I'm thinking to myself, like, I would just have sat there and been like, sure, Jesus, we know where you're going. We, we know the way. And then after the whole conversation, I would be panicking with the disciples. What in the world? What's he talking about? Like, where's he going? Does anybody know? Man, we got to listen more to this guy. Like, we have no idea where he's going. Like, that's what I would do, but not Thomas. Thomas just inserts himself into the conversation. Uh, time out, Jesus. Got no idea where you're going. Don't have a clue. And uh, we don't have a way. We don't even know the way. Like, I, I just love that about him. I love the fact that he leans in and he starts asking the question. He starts drilling down and he starts saying, we don't know where you're going. See, Thomas, though, he was asking the question that all the disciples wanted to ask. You got one of those friends in your friend group that uh, when everyone else is quiet, they just speak up. You got one of those people that probably the person that embarrasses you the most right? They're like, oh, please, don't, no, don't do it. No, they did it. Okay, there they go. Now we're going to sit here, we're going to talk to this person for the next 30 minutes. Like, Thomas just inserted himself, but he asked the question everybody wanted to know, and that was this, where's heaven, and how do we get there? Like, that was the question. He, he knew where Jesus was going. Jesus actually told him with his own words, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thomas might be doubting Thomas, but he's not death Thomas, Right? So he gets it. He knows Jesus is going to this place called heaven, but we don't know where heaven is. And check this out today. Like, still to this day, we don't know where heaven is. Like, if I gave you the keys to a spaceship and I said, go find heaven, could you go get it? Could you find it? Does anybody have a map to heaven? No one has a map to heaven. So nobody knows how to get there. But here's what we do know now, okay, that Thomas, he was still trying to put the pieces together. It was early on. He didn't have all the information. We have all the information now. We can confidently... Okay, confidently know through the teachings of Jesus and God's word, we confidently know how to get to heaven, even if we don't physically know where it is. The Bible tells us exactly where we have to, what we have to do. That's why Jesus looked at Thomas and he goes, Thomas, if you want to be with me, you want to be where I'm going because I want you to be there, then you need to understand three things. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That means this, Thomas, I want you to be with me, but I'm the way. you got to follow my ways. You have to. There's no question here. Like, you cannot just do your thing and expect to get my prize. If you want to get my prize, you have to do it my way. It's my ways. I think you would find that true even in your own house, in raising children, okay? It's like your way. You set the rules. If they follow your rules, then they get the prize. If they don't follow your rules, then they don't get the prize. So that should make perfect sense to us. But then he says, I'm the truth, meaning this, that he's driving home for Thomas and all of us today that I have to be your absolute truth. Like what you anchor yourself in needs to be me, what I teach, what I say. It has to become your absolute truth. There's going to be a lot of other things in this world 
Thomas, and or you and me, that are going to try to establish truth in our life. But all of them will sound good at the beginning, but they'll lead to death. So I have to be your absolute truth. And then lastly, he goes, look, I, I, need, to be, I need to be the way, the truth, and the life. So here, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put your dependency upon me for life. I need you to find your satisfaction in living for me. Right? Like, have your dependency on me. So those three things. you got to follow my ways. I have to be your absolute truth. And the dependency for life has to be upon me. But what you don't see in this passage of Scripture is this. You don't see Jesus scolding Thomas for asking a question. You don't see Jesus scolding him for interrupting him and telling him, Jesus, I know you think you're a great leader, but we don't have a clue of where you're going, and you definitely haven't told us how to get there. Like, like, just think about it. What if you did that at work? What if you were on the job site, okay, and the person in charge of whatever work you do, whatever job you have, they think they're the best leader ever, okay? You know that, boss, all right? They think they're the best leader ever. They think they communicate clearly all the time. Why should anybody have their heads in the cloud when you work for me? I am the best communicator this entire company has, you know that person you work for? Okay. Or maybe they're you. And you show up and they start saying, they start saying, like, guys, like, why in the world? Like, why, why is this going on this way? I told you guys how we're supposed to do it. And then you look at them and you tell them, we have no clue what you said. We, we don't even have a clue. No, no, you're the worst leader ever. You stink. Like, can you imagine doing that? I, I, here on this earth, we have done that. Some of you actually have done that. But can you imagine doing that to Jesus? But Jesus doesn't scold Thomas. He doesn't scold Thomas for cutting him off, asking him a hard question, which was basically challenging Jesus in front of Thomas's peers. Now, Thomas didn't have the wrong heart here. If Thomas had the wrong heart, there's a different outcome. Thomas had the right heart. And, and here's what I want you to notice, that God's not afraid of your questions. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. In fact, in fact, look, if you're walking through something right now and you don't understand why you're walking through it, instead of complaining, why don't you take some time just to sit down in some prayer or while you're driving, and why don't you just take a few minutes and just ask the Lord, Lord, help me understand your ways. Now, you may not get the answer immediately. It may require a diligent prayer, but I'm telling you this, as quickly as Jesus gave Thomas an answer, he wants to give you clarity as well. You may not like the answer, guys, but he wants to give it to you. But he's looking for those who are hungry enough to insert themselves in and start asking the questions. What about this? Have you been reading God's word and never read a part of God's word that didn't make any sense to you? What did you do with it? Did you just skip over it? Did you just keep on going? You're like, mm, I don't really get that. Let's go to the next chapter. Yeah, I don't really get that. Let's go to another book. Yeah, I don't really get that. Let's go to the last book, the book of maps. Let's just look at some maps for a while. This will be really good. I can figure this out. Like, have you ever been reading the Bible and just kind of went like, this makes no sense to me? If you, if you did, then what would you do with that? Because there's nothing wrong with that statement, this makes no sense to me. What would be wrong is if you don't do anything about it. Be a little bit more like Thomas. Insert yourself into this relationship with Jesus and go, Jesus, you, you, this, this Bible makes no sense to me right now. This scripture, I, I don't understand it at all. In fact, it seems like it contradicts something else I read. Would you help me understand your ways? Maybe you've been sitting in a sermon, 
and a guy or a gal's been preaching and all of a sudden something's said and it just ticks you off. It just hits you wrong. It just like, gets you in a spot where it kind of felt like it stepped on your toes. What did you do with that? Did you just like get up after that service and go, well, I'm never coming back to that church and just walk away? Or, or did you take the time to actually lean in and go, Jesus, like, well, what are you trying to say here? If I say something today that challenges you, that makes you go, ah, that feels uncomfortable, like, I, that's gonna, if I would actually adopt that, I would have to change my ways. I, I just want you to do one thing. Would you just start asking more questions? Like, God, what does that scripture mean? Like, what, Pastor just said this, like, what are you trying to say to me? Like, throughout the service, if that, if you, if you, if you were, like, participate in that way, then you become an active listener versus a passive listener. Active listeners always get more out of a conversation than passive. Active listeners are the people that right now you're leaning in and you're going, okay, I hear what he's saying, but what does it mean to me? Okay, I I read that scripture, but God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? An active listener is always the one asking the questions to try to understand so they can apply it to their life. A passive listener is sitting here right now and they're listening to me, but it's going in one ear and out the other. A passive listener is sitting here right now hearing me, but they're really thinking about what comes next in their life. Where are we going to eat lunch? I get that. I could finish breakfast and start asking that question. I could finish lunch and start asking dinner. I finished, I I don't even start dinner before I start asking what are we having for dessert. So I get that. Like, I understand those thoughts, but like, uh, that's the difference between an active listener and a passive listener. So I just want you to do this today. Be an active listener. Lean in with me today. Get on the edge of your seat. Like, get your heart prepped. Say, God, what do you got for me today? And you start listening for that nugget. I'm going to tell you right right now, I'm going to preach 30 minutes, but there's only going to be about one minute that's really going to be what you needed. And you might go, well, then when I get it, can I leave? (laughs) (laughs) oh man no all right all right don't do it don't do it because the last thing the the, the one thing you're going to get is going to happen at the end as well so lean in be an active listener and the other thing about asking questions that the we know from teaching that the person that asks the questions is the person that remembers the content so you, you want to get more of God's word into your heart? Ask more questions from God's word. The more questions that you ask about God's word, the more digging you're doing in his word, the more you remember his word. And I'm going to tell you right now, the more of God's word that's in your heart, the better your life is. But you also, we, ha- we know this about teaching, that the person that asks the most questions potentially becomes the person who owns the material the most. See, the person that just sits there and they're just passive they don't necessarily walk out owning anything. But the person that starts leaning in and starts asking questions, they own it, and then they do something with it. That's Thomas. Thomas may have been coined as the doubter at one point in his life, but I'm telling you what took place is this. He leaned in and he asked a lot of questions. And in that question asking, he became active in his faith. He started remembering things more. He started owning it more. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's a long journey It's a long journey when you don't have an airplane to go from Israel all the way to India. That's a long journey. you got to be all in. you got to be all committed. That's who Thomas is. That's the kind of guy that he is. But I just want to warn you right now, you'll never, ever, ever understand all the ways of God. And some of the ways of God, some of them 
are going to make no sense to you whatsoever. Some of them you may not understand, but it's not like it's totally foreign. Others of them are going to be totally foreign to you, and they're going to make no sense to you. And I know this about humanity. You're going to discover some ways about God that you're going to want to change. You're going to want to try to change some of God's ways. Here's the reason why you're going to want to change some of God's ways. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.13. Listen to what it says about God's ways. It says, accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what God has made crooked? Just let that sink in for a second. Because what I want to sink in is this. God actually makes, from your eyes and my eyes, what are perceived as crooked ways. We don't like that. We don't like it. Like, God, why don't you just make straight ways? Why don't you just make easy ways, right? Like, we don't like crooked ways. Like, if the guy was, like, the guy, you know the guy who, like, has to paint the, the stripes down the middle of the road? What if that guy was texting while painting? Like, that ought to be a rule. No texting while painting, because what if he's, like, what if he creates the crooked lanes? You're going to be totally frustrated. We're the same way with God. We, we get frustrated with these crooked lanes that God creates, and we're like, God, why does it have to be this way? I want to straighten your ways, God. I want to make it easier for me. I want to wipe certain pain out. I want to wipe suffering out. But God goes, no, my crooked ways are best. And let me just say this to you. If, if you're wrestling right now with something that God's doing in your life or something that's happening around your life, and you're like, God, why? I wish this would change. I just want you to know God's crooked way is a perfect way. It just doesn't make sense to you and me. Let me tell you about a crooked way. 24 years ago, I was a youth pastor in a town called Wasilla, Alaska. Loved it. I mean, God was doing amazing things. I get pulled into my pastor's office one Wednesday, and um, I, know it's, I know I'm just going to tell you from, from my side of the story, but just hear my story for a second. I get pulled in one Wednesday morning, and I get let go. Basically, I get fired. And I was told that this is my last Wednesday. And um, I was really confused about that and really hurt, you know, over that. And then two weeks later, he resigned as the lead pastor. So now he's fired me. Two weeks later, he resigns. But a year later, the deacon board of that church called me to come back to that church to repent to me because they said, we were duped, we were led astray, Jeff. We're sorry for the pain that we caused your family. Please come back. We need to repent to you in person. And Kim and I, we flew back up there, and it was a beautiful time of forgiveness and restoration. And God did, God did some great things in my life. He did some great things in that church. That was a crooked way. That makes no sense. Like, God, I got better ways to figure out how to get to Nebraska if you want me to be in Nebraska. You don't have to fire me to get me here. Right? But guys, listen, like, if I don't show up here 24 years ago, and serve here as a youth pastor and as a missions and evangelism pastor. And then if I don't leave for a few years and go help plant a church in Omaha, then I'm not the guy that's prepared to come back here and be the lead pastor, which, by the way, has been 10 years now in the month of June. Yeah. But holy cow, I want to take that crooked way and make something straight out of it. I, I want to go back and change that. Like, I, I wish that I didn't go through that. See, some of you are going through some things right now that feel crooked, but it's God's way. And what does God's word say? It says, accept the way God does things. 
There's two great examples, and I want to like kind of use them as a comparison to juxtaposition them. Like I want to put one against the other and help you understand how people like accepted or they rejected these crooked ways uh, of God. So one was this rich guy, right? This rich guy, he's, the Bible calls him young. And so this rich young guy comes up to Jesus and he goes, I want to follow you, Jesus, right? But he didn't understand how challenging it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be to follow God's ways. Here's the story. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, okay? Well, listen to this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, okay, running. He knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Pause right there. Only God is truly good. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You should be like Thomas right now, and you should be leaning in and going, time out. I thought Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Then what in the world does this mean? Here, here's, what, here's what's really going on here. Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler, Hey, you call me good, you don't even know who I am. Only God is good. I am good. You don't know who I am. You, you evidently want to follow me for some other reason. Maybe, and Jesus doesn't say it, but maybe this rich young guy wants to follow him because Jesus is popular. Or maybe he's just figuring out, like, how can I monetize this so I can make more money? I don't know what, the, I don't know what it is, but something happens here. So then, here, look what happens in verse 19. But to answer your question, like that's what I love about Jesus. He just like jammed that right in there and then goes, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Um, you got to honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied with excitement and joy in his, in his, in his heart. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, what's the next few words that happen here? Jesus felt what? Genuine love for him. Pause again. What's getting ready to happen next might sound like manipulation. But Jesus is not manipulating the guy. It's out of the genuine love that now Jesus has for this young man. That he challenges him. It's out of genuine love, he goes, look, there's still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. But at, at this, the man's face fell, okay? And he went away, what? Sad, for he had many possessions. This guy couldn't wrap his head around this crooked path, this crooked way. He wanted to straighten it up. He was like, how do I hang on to all of my stuff and still follow you? And Jesus is going, no, no, here's the problem. What you're hanging on to has become your God. It's what you worship. It's not that money was bad. It's that it's become your idol, and you're worshiping it, and I'm telling you what you need to do with it. I need to be number one. Number one. There can't be anything else. I have to be number one. It's my ways, or it's no way. So go sell it all, and then, by the way, an open invitation to come follow me. But the man was sad. Why? Because he couldn't, he couldn't follow his ways. He couldn't follow Jesus' ways. He was going to continue on with his own way. So he sat. Now to compare that, the Bible talks about another rich guy, okay, Zacchaeus. And here's what we know about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verse 2. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So we got these two rich guys. 
Now watch how Zacchaeus responds, which is radically different. Jesus is coming now to the village where Zacchaeus lives. And Zacchaeus wants to see him. Okay, so he really wants to see over the crowd. He's having a hard time seeing over the crowd. So he climbs up this tree so that when Jesus passes by, he gets a good look at Jesus. I, I love that about this guy. I love the fact that this guy just had to see Jesus, and he wasn't going to settle for anything less. He wanted a front row seat to Jesus. He created stadium seating right here, right? We got the front row, and then he's up here, and he's like looking down on Jesus. Jesus comes by. Jesus sees him. And it's like Jesus saw the extra effort that this man took. And he goes, hey, Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Hope it's cleaned up, by the way. And do you got some food? Because I got some buddies. And they all go over to his house. Okay? And while they're there, Jesus and Zacchaeus are just talking with each other. And we don't really have all that dialogue. But then what we do see is this. Without being prompted, without being prompted by Jesus, Jesus had to prompt the other rich guy, go sell everything. Without being prompted, here's what Zacchaeus said. Verses 8 and 9. I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much, Jesus responded. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus got it. It seems crooked. Like, why do I have to give away all of this wealth? But Jesus, I'll do it. I, I'll do it, man. I, I recognize that your way is better and I'm going to follow your way, even though it feels crooked, even though it feels like it's out of whack, it, it goes against the grain, it goes against culture, it goes against my very nature. Because guys, come on, one of the things we love to do on a regular basis is see how many zeros we've got in our checking account. Whether it's one, and we're thankful for that, okay, all right, or it's many. But we like to check our zeros. This guy did too, and he was willing to give away a lot of it. Why? Because he was going to follow the ways of Jesus. His ways are better. So, guys, what is it? What is it that Jesus is asking you to give up? What's he asking you to walk away from? He, he, he had these two examples. We got two examples. These guys all dealing with the same issue. It was their money. But what's yours, though? Yours may not be money. It might be something else. But what is he asking you to walk away from? What, what's he asking you as well to bring into alignment under his ways? alignment like if your car is out of alignment what does it do it pulls to one side or the other it takes you off of center if you let go of it your car goes or it goes that way right because it's out of alignment in the same way your spiritual life it gets out of alignment and there's things that are pulling you off of center and you're constantly having to repent of those and you're constantly having to try to justify these things and fight against them and get back on the center whatever that is jesus is asking for that because he wants you to walk away like Zacchaeus, full of joy. But it's your choice today. Like, you got a choice today. How are you going to walk away? You're going to walk away sad because you can't get your life lined up with God's ways and you're just persistent, stubborn, and hard-headed and rebellious enough just to hear a message like this and go, yeah, I'm going to stick with my ways. You're going to walk away sad. You might think you're in control for a, for a moment, but you're going to walk away sad. You're going to regret that. Jesus has a better way, and he's going, look, follow the example of, of Zacchaeus. Like, he, he, he has a way, better way for you. But for that to happen, you, you really have to like, look at two zones of your life. There's these two areas of your life, traditions and religion. And on that note, I want to bring the worship team out here, because we're going to do something a little unique. 
So while they're coming out, I just want you to consider this. It, it could be that the thing God wants you to give up and walk away from or surrender to him could be part of your traditions. Your traditions are anything that deals with your old way of living that doesn't please God anymore. Your traditions are maybe ways that you think, the way that you process life that isn't a godly way, it's just a human way, and it's comfortable for you, but, but you don't want to walk away from it. Your traditions could be this, that's the things that you, you hold on to, right, that just aren't God's ways, and it's not what God wants. You know God, God doesn't want this for your life, but it's just a tradition of yours. It's a habit of yours. It's just who you are. It's now become part of your identity, and you don't want to give it up. People like this about you. They like, they like who you are, right, when you're at the bar, or they, they like who you are when you're telling the jokes, or they, they like who you are, like you don't want to give those things up, but they're the traditions, and God's going, I want that. I want you to change your way and let it become my way. But it also could be your religion, those false ideas of who God is that were ingrained in you from childhood. With great intentions, people tried to teach you or raise you in a church environment, but all it did was like burn you. All it did was make you get a colder heart towards God and push you away from God. And now here you are, and you're trying to let your heart get warmed up to God, but you're having a hard time because you're, you're trying to fight through all the old religious ways. You got this churchy stuff in your life, and you're just going through the motions, and it doesn't please you, and it's not pleasing God either. If being here today, is this your churchy duty, and you had no fun in it, God didn't have fun in it either. Now God wants, he wants your, your walk with him to be fun, to be vibrant, to be alive. Like, he wants you to be like thankful that you know him because he's thankful to know you. Your religious ways, that split personality that you have where you're one way when you're here and you're another way when you're there. Like God wants to break those. He wants to take every single one of them and break them down. He goes, I want those things to disappear, those ways to disappear, and I want you to have my way. 